are so thrilled to have with us Joel Rosenberg today. He's a New York Times bestselling author, 16 novels, five nonfiction books. And, you know, you never know where Joel is going to show up next. He's spoken at the White House, the Pentagon, the U.S. Capitol, European Parliament, uh, EU Parliament in Brussels. He's met with kings, princes, presidents throughout the Middle East and speaks at major business and faith conferences. And we've been privileged to be in a couple of those conferences. We love them. And Joel and his wonderful wife, uh, Lynn, moved to Israel in 2014, which was a crazy year right. with the tax going on, made Aliyah and their four sons. And he lives in Jerusalem and good friends. Our lives in ministry and just friendship keeps intersecting. And we're so thankful for that. We love the whole Rosenberg family. Joel, welcome. Glad to have you. Well, Thank you, Tom and Joanne. It's so such a joy to at least see you guys. It's been a while since we've had the joy of being together, but it's uh, very sweet to be with you. We love the Doyle family and uh, and all that you guys do to to bless Israel and her neighbors, to to proclaim the gospel, to strengthen believers in this part of the world, and and to help people understand what in the world is happening and what is God doing. I, I just appreciate your heart, your books, both of you, accomplished authors and uh, speakers and and servants of Christ. So thank you. This is fun to to be together. Although I wish it wasn't under such that's right circumstances. That's right. Oh, oh boy, that is the truth. So so we want to talk about the current. Hamas massive attack on Israel generating from Gaza and the IDF response and and then even talk about some of the Arab Jewish riots going on in Israel. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, since 2014, we haven't seen anything like this, but I don't remember in 2014 the internal strife that we're seeing in Israel. So how are you in the midst of this ferocious attack coming out of Gaza? Mm -hmm. Well, as I told um, a Fox News interviewer the other day, it's been a hellish week. Um, it, it, when, it, when we moved here, so, so first to answer your specific question, we're safe and God has been very merciful to us. We live in Jerusalem. Uh, on day one, there were seven rockets fired from Gaza at Jerusalem. We heard one of the sirens go off, the air raid siren here. I was out in the backyard. I didn't believe it. I, I thought it was a malfunction or a test or something yeah. because we haven't seen any rockets fired at Jerusalem in seven years. Um, but, uh, but then we heard a boom and we felt the apartment shake and a house um, was destroyed uh, on the outskirts of Jerusalem, but we still felt it. So um, that was, that, that told us, oh, this is real. Um, so we are in contact with you know, friends, ministry, staff, uh, uh, believers all over this country, Jews and Arabs and Palestinians getting reports. Um, uh, but so, but we're sort of hunkered down here in Jerusalem. We haven't, we haven't felt the sense that we were supposed to go out and, and travel um, as much as we want to go be with people. Um, many roads in the South are closed um, there are so many attacks on Tel Aviv and central Israel, communities that have not taken rocket fire ever, or at least not in seven years. Um, Netanya, um, Herzliya, uh, Modayin, these you know, communities, may not all be names that are known uh, to your viewers and listeners, but you guys know them. These are just, you know, sort of basic average uh, Israeli communities that have never been, that not really been ever affected directly 
by rocket fire. But so you really don't know if you go out too far, you don't know what's going to happen. So we feel a sense both of grief, uh, tremendous spiritual warfare, just mm. off the charts darkness right now. And yet a, a strange sense of, of peace at the same time that this is where the Lord has us. And we are not, you know, visitors. We're, we're citizens. Our Two of our four sons have served in the army. We They have friends who are in combat units uh, engaged with the enemy right now. And, um, yeah, we're just uh, trying to be faithful in, in, in um, praying uh, mm-hmm. and mobilizing prayer as, as we try to educate through interviews, through our news sites and other things. Uh, social media um, help people understand what's happening and, and how to pray. It's um, it's a it, but it's been a, a brutal week. Oh, oh man, our our hearts are broken for what we see on the news, um, the constant rocket barrage, and knowing that people are suffering, as you guys are saying, not just physically but spiritually, yeah. and that takes a toll <clears throat> on you emotionally and physically when that darkness is so dark. That's right. And, and let me just note, just by context, you know, when you mentioned that when we moved here as a family in August of 2014, we arrived in the middle of the last major rocket war. Now, there have certainly been rocket attacks uh, ever since we got here in bursts from time to time. The last 18 months, two years have been pretty quiet. Uh, COVID may have had some uh, silver lining to it, it that it kept, you know, the terrorists indoors. I don't know. I don't know. Um, they, I know that Hamas was not using the money they have to buy vaccines for their people. Uh, they were building, uh, you know, this terror infrastructure. But if you go back seven years ago, that war lasted seven weeks. Mm-hmm. And in that seven week period, roughly 49, 50 days, you had 4,534 rockets were fired at Israel, okay? Wow. So just again, roughly 4,500 rockets in seven weeks. In one week, we are approaching 3,200 rockets. Wow. So if you just, it, the numbers, you, you, it's easy to get lost in, it just keeps happening yeah. and happening and happening and happening. But it's important to understand that the Hamas and Islamic Jihad, the other terrorist organization that's doing this, are on a much faster pace. Um, and so you, you don't have stretches of time where there really isn't much happening. Every, every hour, there is another attack. And, uh, and that, of course, is just on Israel. Then we'll get into, I'm sure, you know, Israel, of course, is retaliating. And so the devastation that's going on inside the Gaza Strip, that really is hellish. You think it's emotionally and spiritually hellish on this side, but mostly we have the Israeli Iron Dome system shooting down 90% of these rockets. So it's scary because you have to rush your children uh, or your, your elderly parents or whomever into bomb shelters and most people are living in bomb shelters. I mean, if you leave the bomb shelter in another five minutes, the sirens go off, you have to go running back. So it's hard. Every new home or homes for the last, I don't know, 20 years have have to have at least one of the rooms that are reinforced. We have that one of our sons that is his room. So if the sirens go off again, we're going to be plunging into his room, you know, but, but there are older apartments where there are no, bomb shelters in individual rooms, I mean, individual apartments. And so you have to go to the communal 
bomb shelter or the basement. And so that's, that's difficult. You know, again, if you just, if you're in a family, small apartment, everybody rushes into one room. Okay. That doesn't take that long. But if you are an elderly person or you have small children or whatever, or you're ill or what, you know, or you, or you have uh, disabilities, you know, you're not taking the elevators. You have to, you have to move quickly and you may have only 15, 30, maybe 45 seconds. So, uh, so yeah, that the psychological toll of thinking, when is this going to end? It just keeps happening, happening. And the booms and the shaking and the dust oh, and the, and the children screaming, it's, uh, it's terrible, but it's worse on Gaza side because well, we'll get into it. I don't want to. Yeah. You know, and, you know, we've been communicating to some of the young believers in Gaza that come from a Muslim background. In fact, we wrote about one in our new book. And she, through all of this, she, she got COVID. Shireen got COVID in the midst of it. They're in a refugee camp. They're right in the middle of it. But then just a couple of days ago, she sent us something to communicate and said that her husband had become a believer through this. Wow, wow. And, uh, you've been wow. very hardened to the gospel, very hardened to mm -hmm. spiritual things. And, uh, but so, you know, God's working well, in Gaza. In the praise God. And I think it's important to front load, no matter what else we talk about, let's front load what's happening in the big picture. I think if you take the year of COVID, which has mm -hmm. been just devastating, actually not so devastating for the Palestinians, um, in Gaza and the West Bank, they have not been badly affected by the coronavirus. And the reason for that is because most uh, Palestinians don't have the freedom of movement. They can't travel. So Israel, which is a very globalized society, we were traveling and all these people, all of us were, you know, many were bringing in the virus from outside, including the mutations from South Africa, from London, from other places. And so Israel, it, it swept through our country in a way that it didn't actually through Gaza and the West Bank. However, um, the economic devastation of businesses being shot, people sheltering in place, and all the rest of that has been horrible on both sides of the border. So, you know, we've had, you know, up at, at its peak, close to 25% of Israelis were out of work. Um, more than 70,000 businesses have gone bankrupt. Um, you know, it's, it's been it's been devastating. Plus, um, you know, couples that aren't that happy with each other suddenly having to stay at home, abusive husbands, sexual predators. I mean, you just think of every bad, um, you know, pathology in, in family life or in an apartment has all been, you know, exacerbated by by being all together and stuck. So there's so so there was this which I, again, I believe is right out of Luke chapter 21. It's, this, this pestilence is one of the birth pangs of, of the last days. Now, just as we're coming out of that, and Israel has about 90% of us have been vaccinated if we want it. Most of the country has been either vaccinated or have recovered from COVID. Uh, COVID. So the country was starting to reopen. Uh, we thought tourism was going to begin on May 23rd. Uh, business was coming back. You just had the sense of, ah, oh, we got through it. And then this war. And, and then civil war, not full-on civil war, but but terrible. Uh, something wicked has been unleashed, Tom and Joanne, in the Jewish and Arab communities. Not all, but just almost like 
like Nazi brown shirts out on the streets, both Jewish extremists and Arab extremists, uh, uh, setting uh, synagogues on fire, cars on fire, attacking innocent civilians just walking down the street, breaking glass, burning Torah scrolls, um, beatings, shootings, lynchings. It, it, it is, um, it's bad enough to face an external enemy like Hamas, like Islamic Jihad, that unifies a country like Israel, which is very divided politically and socially and religiously and pick any other leaves that you can, we're <laughs> divided. But having an internal enemy, which is like each other, this has added a weight. And you can see, like I said, like something wicked has been unleashed here, which we really haven't seen in previous wars. So the combination of all of this, to me, is evidence, not that God is responsible for any of it. This is, this is the work of the devil, whom right. Jesus said specifically in John 10, 10, he's a thief and he comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And that's what we're watching. But on top of it, God is sovereignly allowing something to be unleashed, the diseases, the, 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 the rocket war, the rage in, in our cities and on the Temple Mount and in the old city at the Damascus Gate. And I think that what we're really watching is God is shaking this country and our neighbors in ways that we, we, we've rarely seen. I don't know where we've seen this combination, this confluence of events that are shaking people. And I think it goes right back to what you just said about this friend of yours, Shireen, and her husband, People who don't know Christ are suddenly being rattled very deeply. You know, you take one punch, you think, well, take another punch, another punch, another punch. And now you're going, where does my hope come from? Where am I going to go if I die? Where, how do I find peace in this troubled world? And, and it's not just, you know, Palestinians, it's, it's, it's Jews. And it's not just Muslims, it's Jews. And it's not just Muslims right. and Jews. It's nominal Christians who aren't sure what they really believe and it's believers themselves a strong you know who may not be that strong but but know christ they are born again but they're being rattled they are being tested and shaken and it's um i think we can now have enough evidence that we're seeing the lord is doing something to draw people to himself or at least not let people be satisfied with whatever ideology or religious theology that they've been holding on to. And I'll add two more. The Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox community in Israel has been shaken very, very deeply. On top of everything else, we saw this uh, terrible tragedy up in Galilee where there was this like set of collapsing and cascading injuries that left many, many dead, many, many more wounded. And then at a, at a facility just in uh, Jerusalem a couple of days ago, uh, last night, really, I think it was just last night, um, bleachers where ultra-Orthodox people were holding an event collapsed. Uh, as I've heard, so far only two are dead, but hundreds wounded. Again, everybody is being shaken, and it's just one thing after another after another. It's, it's, it's as if the Holy Spirit took a step back on restraining and it just everything is, is unleashed. And I, 
I think people are confused with in America on how did all this start? I mean, it was a tinderbox ready to go, but but if I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we heard about the issue in Sheikh Jarrah, which for those of you that have been to Israel, really not that far from the American colony, just down the street. Right. And and all of a sudden there's riots over housing and how, I know this was all politicized, but how did it get started, Joel? Yeah, yeah. well, let's, let's, let's break them out, right? So first, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, you have to understand, I mean, you do, uh, but your, 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 your viewers, your readers, your, 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 your listeners need to understand they don't need an excuse to try to destroy Israel. It's, it's in their charter, literally in the, in the charter of Hamas from 1988, they say our mission is to annihilate Israel and retake Palestine and put it under Sharia law and Islamic control. So they don't need any specific provocation. They will use things as pretexts to sort of justify um, their violence. But so that's the first thing you just have to understand. There is not, nothing has happened here in the last few days or weeks or months that justify 3,100 rockets being fired at us. So, you know, so there's that. Now, specifically, people are hearing about this community, uh, this neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah. And most people have never heard of it. I will tell you that I have been through it a million times and didn't know it was called Sheikh Jarrah. Like, I, it just was not a thing that registered in my head. I thought when people saying Sheikh Jarrah, I said, who's that? Yeah. <laughs> right. I've lived here. You know, it's not like I'm just rolling off the turnip truck here, but apparently I am. Now, Sheikh Jarrah is a neighborhood. It's a neighborhood that was built with Jewish houses, Jewish people bought land and built apartment buildings and other buildings pre-1948, okay? Um, Arab people sold them land, they have the deeds to their property and they built the, the, these places. In 1948, of course, uh, five Arab countries attacked Israel. And during that time, Jordan ended up in control of most of Jerusalem and certainly of East Jerusalem, including the community of Sheikh Jarrah. In this case, Jordan, which did not have any legal right to that land, that remember, not to get into all of it, but um, this all this whole region was under Ottoman Turkish control. The Ottomans lost to the British. The British took control, but went right to the United Nations and said, "What do we do?" The United Nations says, "Oh, we're going to give you British." government a mandate to govern until we can figure it out. And then in 1949, I'm sorry, 1947, November of 1947, uh, the United Nations voted of what to do. They decided to on something called the partition plan. They're going to divide the, the land in, you know, a small part for the Jews, a larger part for Palestinian Arabs, and there'd be two states. The Jews were disappointed with the offer, but they decided to say yes. And of course the Arabs unanimously rejected. So no legal control ever went to the Palestinian Arabs or to Jordan. Then came the war of May 14, 1948. We call it the Independence War. They call it Al-Nakba, the catastrophe, the disaster. So. When the, when the independence war on our side, Al-Nakba on their side was over, 
and the smoke cleared, Jordan controlled most of Jerusalem. So they started, you know, the Jews had fled, so they took over Sheikh Jarrah. Having taken over Sheikh Jarrah, they gave it to Arab residents and let them live in it. Then came the June War of 1967, what we commonly refer to as the Six-Day War, okay? Now, now Israel reunified Jerusalem, or from our perspective, liberated it, okay? At that point, Jews were back in charge of Sheikh Jarrah, but, and had property rights, you know, deeds of sale for that land. But they said, we'll continue to rent this land, I mean, this territory, nobody actually, no Jews actually want to live in that neighborhood. It's a little too dangerous. So why don't we just, you know, you'll just, just pay us rent and you can, you stay there. For roughly 50 of the last 70 plus years, the people that live in the community have not paid rent. And this has been litigated for years. Now, it is a complicated situation because you've had the movement back and forth. Who's really in charge? What legal system is in control? But it's something that has been working its way through the courts. Now, all that to say, just to wrap it up, we're talking about roughly 27 or 28 families. Only four families, a recent court decision here in Israel said, you guys, you have not paid rent. Uh, There's a new owner of the property. They're not willing to let this go on forever. So you're gonna have to move. The family said no. The Israeli police finally under court order moved to evict them. This is what Hamas, Islamic Jihad, and other radical groups decided to create as a cause celeb. And to use that as somehow the Jews were unfairly kicking Arabs out of their land, out of Jerusalem. And it set into motion a whole series of events, which will I will I will just wrap by concluding that uh, some of the radical groups decided let's stockpile the Al Aqsa Mosque on what we call the Temple Mount, where the first and second temples were located, what the Muslims call um, Haram Al Sharif. Right, this is where the Dome of the Rock is located. This is where the Al Aqsa Mosque. Is located. That is the third holiest site to Muslims after Mecca and Medina. But it's holy to Jews for, for whom there have been two uh, temples. And we, we know as, as evangelicals, there's going to be a third temple and there's going to be a fourth temple even, uh, the one that's described in the last chapters of Ezekiel. So it's a very important site for Jews and Christians as well as Muslims. Well, Radicals stockpiled rocks and stones and pieces of concrete in the mosque. And then on Jerusalem Day, last Monday, mm-hmm. uh, week ago Monday, decided to start you know, throwing rocks and pieces of concrete down on Jewish worshipers at the Western Wall. Okay, mm-hmm. This is when the police had to move in to quell this, uh, this violence. And, of course, that's exactly what the radicals wanted. They wanted television images of Israelis, soldiers, and police on the Temple Mount uh, using tear gas and so forth. So this has been the cascading set of events that is, is, are the pretexts. But I think any, any fair person would say you've got a real estate dispute, dispute that's gone on for you know 80 years. Mm-hmm. And not that many people are being affected, but there is, you know, you can't just take over people's land and never pay rent. Mm-hmm. 
If they had paid rent, they could have stayed. They didn't want to. So that's one thing people need to know. And the other thing is if you stockpile rocks in a mosque and start you know, firing them down on Jews, police are going to have to respond. They may not in Portland or Seattle or Minneapolis or New York, but but here people are like, well, you need to be safe because it's all about religious freedom. Right. Jews should have the right to worship freely at the Western Wall, just as Muslims should have the right to worship freely in a mosque, but they nobody has the right to attack each other. Okay, that's the short version. I know you're like, oh my gosh, he just goes on and on, but it's hard to say it shorter than that. This no, is so oh, good. This is so good. I, I do have a question though, so I totally get all sure. this. I, but one question you haven't touched on yet that we know is a, a true factor. And what about Iran? How are they influencing all of this through Hamas? And then one thing we heard here, Joel, so I'm curious if it's true that you know we, we saw that a ground war was coming, but then we heard that that was actually Israel faking out the idea of faking out Hamas and that they really were going to you know try to push all of the, the terrorists into the tunnels and then get rid of the tunnels. So is there truth to that? And then okay. the second question, the first question is, Let's start with Iran. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what we were describing, so I, 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 to recap, we said that uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad don't need uh, an excuse. They are committed to destroying us, and that's their stated goal. So that's the first thing. Then we have a series of other things, um, like the Sheikh Jarrah um, Situation. troubles, like what's going on in the Temple Mount. We also have the end of Ramadan. So that's right. a system where, you know, to be respectful of Muslims, listen, this is their religious view of, but, you know, you think, wow, whoever came up with the idea of asking Muslim young people, young men in the Middle East to not eat or drink even water all day in the hottest months of the year might be, might be, you know, might be, creating trouble, but it's not usually creating riots all over the world, but here it was a convergence of things. Jerusalem Day, the liberation of, of, of Jerusalem from our perspective as Israelis, again, you know, there was this project, but at the core, what's really happening? You know, the big picture, Iran. Iran is trying to shift the tension off of its own um, domestic troubles. Iran wants to build nuclear weapons. It's got, it's breaking uh, the nuclear deal, which I thought was a flawed deal, but it may, but President Obama, Vice President Biden then, and the Iranians made this deal in 2015. And as they broken it, and then of course, as, um, as President Trump withdrew the United States, at least everybody else is still in it, the United States was withdrawn, this set into motion a series of economic sanctions that really have crippled, nearly crippled Iran's economy. So Iranians are suffering if Iran's government would just give up its nuclear ambitions and allow inspectors to come in and make sure they're not building nuclear, you know, nuclear weapons, then the sanctions would be removed. And if they stop building, you know, long range missiles and, you know, fomenting terror, but it's, there's a number of things going on, but Iran's, the Iranian people are suffering. The government is highly despised, hated by the Iranian people. They are trying to divert attention off of their own domestic troubles. And Jerusalem and Palestine and wiping Israel off the map is a way of pulling people's attention away from the horrors of their Tehran regime to 
an issue they feel will be unifying for Iranians. Um, so, you know, they've decided this is the moment to light up their two proxies, uh, Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Iran's government funds, arms, trains, supplies, and in, as best as we can tell, directs the activities of Hamas and Islamic Jihad. So that's the answer to that question. Really what we're watching is an Iranian proxy war against exactly. us. Exactly. That's the short version to that answer. Then your other question was, remind me. Uh, this about, you know, we heard here in the States that there, oh, all the, the diversion were there, you know, was this right. a diversion for what they, yeah. Right. So. It's true that Israel has mobilized combat tanks to surround the Gaza Strip and has mobilized uh, somewhere north of 7,000 combat soldiers, units to come and, and prepare. And, 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 and it was true that night when the IDF tweeted that ground and air forces are engaged in combat against militants in the Gaza Strip. That was true, actually. Okay. But it, it, but it, but it was read by foreign media as a ground invasion, uh, and and the reason it was uh, done because because Israel said ground forces were engaged. They are. Uh, tanks are firing. More artillery and mortar rounds are being fired at enemy positions. What it appears to be, and the way people are reading it, is that that was a deception. I mean, it was true, but it was the art of war. It was the, you know, uh, the, you know, Sun Tzu talked about deceiving the enemy. And what happened was, it, it seems as though the theory was if the Hamas and Islamic Jihad terrorists who were hiding in uh, what they call the metro, massive underground tunnels underneath, you know, the subterranean levels under Gaza, uh, if they're hiding there with all their missiles and all their arms, if they think that the Israelis are invading, they came up out of the tunnels to take up their positions, at which point 160 Israeli fighter jets could and, and our drones could spot them and began bombing them uh, mercilessly. Um, so that is uh, so. But now Israel may still have to invade. I, nobody here wants it. Um, oh. I think that most likely we'll see a ceasefire sometime this week, I think. But the problem is when you set gasoline on fire, you don't really know how far that fire is going to burn. And you can't just suddenly shut it down like your barbecue. Mm -hmm. this, this is a very dangerous and volatile situation. Mm. Yeah. And, and the whole regional war fear i mean it's it's really here i mean it's a proxy war iran is running the show in gaza and you know we've been in there joel when hamas was fighting islamic jihad they hate each other it, iran funds them both they can come together when they can attack israel that's something they'll come together over truly amazing but as we shift from the physical war on the ground to the spiritual war what about the believers in israel we're we're both privilege to work with Israelis and Palestinians that love Jesus, love each other. What are you hearing from them as they're going through this? Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad you asked, Tom, because 
Uh, I, I, I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing in the body of believers here. Um, you, know, so, you know, you guys know, uh, but maybe your viewers and listeners don't know that um, one of the projects I launched last September were, were two new websites uh, dedicated to covering what's happening here. One is called All Israel News. The other is called All Arab News. Um, one, one is at allisrael.com and the other is all arab.news. Now, why I say that is because we had an article uh, yesterday uh, on the all Arab news site, which we cross link. It's like, it's like two sections of your local newspaper, but we have it, we run it uh, together, but they're separate in, in part, uh, guys, because there are Arab Christians and Arab Muslims and others in the region, Iranians, who are willing to be interviewed by me or my team, but they don't, they're not ready to be interviewed on or profiled or whatever on allisrael.com. You know, it's just not, they're not ready for that. So that's why we created all Arab news. But anyway, the lead story yesterday was a wonderful uh, column by a Palestinian evangelical pastor in Ramallah, the, the effective capital of the Palestinian Authority. They, they claim, of course, Jerusalem, but, but, but day-to-day activities happen in, in Ramallah. And uh, this pastor is, is, the, is the president of the Evangelical Council of all Palestinian churches and ministries. And, and uh, he wrote an amazing, wonderful, unifying uh, message about the, uh, calling on the world uh, to pray for both Palestinians and Israelis. And, and, uh, and so that was encouraging. Um, today, and, and we also published a story yesterday on uh, Solidarity Sunday, where you had Christians and all over the world in churches praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and of course, not just Jerusalem, but the whole the whole area, and it, it, tens of millions of Christians doing this, and this is touching. This is yeah. touching the hearts of Israelis. Uh, I think Palestinians too, but I know for sure Israelis. I, I got a text. I, I, I include it in my story on this Solidarity Sunday yesterday. Uh, an atheist uh, woman who used to be a, a senior advisor to a top Israeli government official. And she texted me and she said, you know, I'm an atheist, I'm an unbeliever, but I'm so moved by these Christians all over the world that are praying for us. And, and, and she shared some correspondence with some Christians that had written to her and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and were talking about, you know, sharing Bible verses. Psalm 91 is the big uh, passage, mm-hmm. I think, that a lot of people here are focused on, and rightly so. So, uh, and then today, and I don't know if our article is up yet on all Israel news, but, but the the Council of Evangelical Messianic Believers here in Israel um, issued a statement earlier today in Hebrew, English, Arabic, Russian, and Amharic. Uh-huh. Um, again, um, praying for peace, calling on the nations to pray, calling on the church to pray, and, and showing love and compassion to both sides. I think that's a theme that, you know, the three of us, we've talked about it a lot over the years. You and I have not just spent time here in Israel, but in Afghanistan and other places. And, and I think that if you, I think it's fair to say that if we dialed back 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, most Christians who talked about this region pretty much talked about one or the other. You were either pro-Israel or you're pro-Palestinian and either you didn't talk about the other side or you talked about it very negatively. There's still a lot of that, to be sure, but I think we, we're seeing a significant change. We're certainly seeing it here in the land where it's 
easy, especially in wartime, to go right to your your your, your nationalist camps and be pro-Israel or pro-Palestinian. Mm-hmm. And I'm you, you know you still see that, but but the churches, the pastors, the believers are much more talking about you know people on both sides are suffering. Yeah. And, and and we need to we need to talk with compassion on both sides. I am encouraged by that. Um, God has not chosen to answer those prayers by stopping the war yet, but that doesn't mean we should stop. Right. And I think in all of this, we cannot forget God is sovereign. He is allowing this, as you said earlier. Why? He is pursuing us. And sometimes it takes devastation to wake us up to where mm-hmm. we finally say, I can't find hope within myself can't find hope within my government, can't find it within my people group. So then finally people look up to God who is pursuing us to say, okay, he is the only answer. It's also awakening Christians all over the world who they know they should be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. But, you know, because of COVID, because of the the Abraham Accords and the four peace treaties of last year, we may have been, uh, many people may have been lulled into a false sense that, that peace was breaking out and there was no, you know, underlying you know, tinderbox, as you mentioned, that, that, a, that a match could, could, could set on, you know, into, into flame. But that's not true. It's true that peace is spreading with more and more Arab countries. But, but um, you know, we, at least American Christians have certainly had other things to be praying about this past year. You know, obviously coronavirus and the economy, but race riots and churches being shuttered because of uh, government restrictions and uh, religious freedom issues and, and, and tensions and, uh, of course, the elections, I mean, there's been a lot to pray about, and there hasn't been much more room to pray uh, for a part of the world that didn't seem like it was on fire. And now no. suddenly this is all coming back. So it's God's way, I think, of waking up the church as well and saying, listen, don't, uh, you know, what was the old song? Don't you forget about me. I know that's not a hymn or anything, but I, <laughs> I uh, my well, and I, upbringing, I, you know, or, <laughs> I am so glad you brought up all Arab news, all Israel news, because we get this every week. We're in churches talking to people. Where do you go to get the news? I'm not sure I trust this. There's narrative. This is where you go. This is so fair, so balanced, so biblical. biblical. It's just we are so thankful for you doing that, Joel. And uh, I was reading that from the Palestinian pastor yesterday. It was just like this is what people need to hear. And I think around the world when they see, hey, some of them in Israel are figuring this out, how to do peace. And we're taking these sides out here. It kind of is is almost shameful. I, I mean, to, to just get caught up on one or the other. Joel, we met a Palestinian that we work with that when he came to faith in Jesus, he, he read the Sermon on the Mount and love your enemies. And so he said, he decided he wanted to be a full disciple. And I said, oh, what does that mean? He goes, well, I just want to pick and choose things that Jesus says. I want to do it all. And the one that hit me living in Gaza was love your enemy. And so I confessed my hatred to Israel and to the Jews. And I thought there would be a tolerance. But God filled that vacuum in my heart with love. Yeah. And he shared that with an American group. They were crying seeing it. And then he showed the tattoo on his arm. He has a Hebrew tattoo, the Shema. Wow. on his forearm in hebrew in hebrew for those of you that don't know the shaman it's the you know the uh john three sixteen. you know for jews deuteronomy 6 heroes <laughs> what i got and showed that and he said i show this to jewish people telling them i'm thankful to live in the land with them 
I pray for them and that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. How powerful is that? So, well, so Tom, feel free to write us an article uh, with some of these stories. We would love to publish you. Um, you know, one of the things that's been fun about this project, we started, we launched on September 1st and uh, we, you know, what's been interesting is we, we built a team of uh, Israeli, Palestinian, Lebanese and American um, journalists, webmasters, you know, the, the whole team. And we, we've been doing interviews. We've gotten, you know, the credibility that God is giving us is really quite amazing. We've been doing exclusive interviews uh, with the president of Israel, the defense minister of Israel, the, the minister of regional cooperation of Israel, um, just to name a few, but also uh, the president of the United States, the vice president, the secretary of state. We've talked to senators. We've talked to congressmen. We've talked to top Muslim leaders. Um, I was invited to um, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain to meet with top leaders and interview them there. Um, God is giving us um, both insights and a platform. He's building a platform, and um, and but we're looking for more people to uh, to write stories that aren't getting told. You know, God. One of the things we're supposed to do, right, is to be a voice for the voiceless. And some people have voices, but they, in this world, you need some sort of platform where people can hear you. Otherwise, you feel yeah, like yeah. A, a tree falling in a forest and like nobody's around to hear you and you and you feel alone. And this is what we're trying to do is to bring to attention. Uh, and so we're doing original stories, exclusive stories, but we're also linking to the really good coverage in this region, uh, the things that we think are credible. Uh, we, we shy away from anything that seems sensationalistic or, or not well-sourced, but we're also inviting people to write guest columns, uh, and we don't have to agree with them all, but we, we invite a range of people. Um, again, and, and I think, I hope over time that this becomes the go-to site or sites um, that Christians, uh, particularly evangelicals all over the United States and Canada, but all over the world, will find this is my one-stop shopping. Like if I want to know what's going on in the Jerusalem Post or the other sites, those stories are the good ones the, the, or the ones we think are the most important for that day. No. They're already linked there. But yes, there's so much media bias and we are seeing it in this war. Just unbelievable hostility. Last week, CNN devoted four minutes to covering this war in their prime time schedule. Four minutes wow. on the cable news network amidst, at that point, 2,000 and then 3,000 rockets f being fired at, a, at an American ally. You're like, what, where does one have to turn? What, 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 would, what would cause a producer, an anchor to think, yeah, that's not important. I'm not doing that. Well, this is the, in the world of bias, there's soft bias in which People just don't care, so they don't cover. Then there's hard bias. They do care, they do know, and they don't want your evangelical or Israeli or peace perspective or whatever to be covered, so they, they're against actively. And then there's war. That's Al Jazeera. That's the Iranian media. That's the Turkish media. That's, right, that's Islamist media. And we're dealing with all of it, and it's all coming out right this, you know, this past week. Israel is not just fighting a war with radical Islamism. We are fighting a war with, with uh, radicals in the media and in 
and in political parliaments and governments in the United States, uh, in the European Union. I'm not saying Biden. I think President Biden started off weak last week and was saying almost nothing. I think he is he and his team have improved over the week. I have some criticisms, but um, but I think they've gotten better, so that's good. But you have you know you have people slandering Israel as though, and I think the question as though we are doing something wrong as we defend our people. And the question is, what would you do yeah. exactly. if you were in charge of the, the, the highest moral responsibility of any government is to protect its people, right? And, um, so what would you do if, if somebody fired 3,100 rockets at, not at your military, but at your, your civilian population? Uh, that's a war crime. And then they're committing a double war crime each time they fire because they fi- they're firing their rockets from mosques in Gaza, from schools, from elementary schools, from playgrounds, from businesses, from factories, from, uh, they didn't fire, but they were using um, a media building that housed the Associated Press, Al Jazeera, uh, other media outlets. But Hamas was using that uh, floors of that building to run their intelligence system and plan attacks against Israel. So Israel, what did Israel do? What do you do when a media building is, is not only pouring forth the elders here hatred and, and, and incitement against Israel, but Hamas is actually using the very same building to plan operations against us. So what did Israel do? You could do nothing. Uh, that would might get you good coverage, but you were endangering your people. So the government here decided to give everybody in the building one hour to clear out. They phoned every single person in the building. That's what happens between wars. Our intelligence services work on getting the, 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 the mobile phone numbers of every single person in every single apartment building, every single factory, every single office building in the entire Gaza Strip. That's pretty impressive. Then they called every single person and said, you have one hour to get out and then we're gonna blow up the entire building. Not a single person died who was living or working in that building. Why? And, and, and then you have media saying, you know, the Associated Press itself, who, who, who knew that Hamas was working there, a former AP reporter has reported that, he, that he's been reporting for a long time that they've been operating out of that building. But anyway, the AP then said, we were lucky to get out. Prime Minister Netanyahu said yesterday on CBS News' Face Nation, no, they weren't lucky. We called them. Yeah. We yeah. told them you have one hour and we're taking down this building. It's a legitimate target under international law. Once terrorists take over a building, it's a target. But we didn't want to kill people, even the terrorists, That's we right. let them escape, but we had to send a message. And anyway, uh, this is what we're facing. And, and, and you know, just one more thought on this. It's easy to say, well, we love our Palestinian brothers and sisters and we need to show kindness and compassion. Therefore, we shouldn't talk about the war that we shouldn't, it's too political, it's too controversial. I think that's a mistake. Our job is to speak the truth in love mm-hmm. and and who is suffering? It's not just the Israeli people. The people of Gaza, the Palestinians of Gaza are trapped. They are held hostage by a terror regime. Yes, it's true that in 2006, they elected Hamas to lead them. That was a long time ago. 
Okay? 15 years ago. And yeah. they don't want Islamic Jihad and Hamas running their lives anymore, but there's nowhere else for them to go. They're trapped. They're held hostage. And the way to, and, and, and so I say, yes, Gaza needs to be liberated. I said this on Fox the other night. Gaza needs to be liberated, but not from Israel. We're, we don't have a single soldier in Gaza. We don't have a single citizen in Gaza. Gaza needs to be liberated from Hamas, from Islamic Jihad. The, the way to show compassion is to be honest that, the, that, that Hamas and Islamic Jihad are destroying the lives. We are mostly, we are not suffering. We're suffering psychologically, spiritually, emotionally. But the people of Gaza are really being destroyed, damaged, so badly harmed. Be, just like the Taliban and, and Al-Qaeda destroyed Afghanistan yeah. and invited the world to come and fight them, so too, uh, that's what's happening in, in, in Gaza. We need to pray for Gaza to be liberated, but we have to be careful not to say, well, in order to be loving to both sides, somehow we shouldn't talk about evil that's being inflicted on both sides. I, I, I see it just the opposite. I'm not saying that every pastor or ministry person or lay person needs to get involved in the conversation, but we have to not shy away, right. some of us, from what is really happening here and how do we really bring freedom and peace the radical Islamist terrorists have to be defeated or removed. It's so true. And I remember when we first started working in the Middle East around 2001, uh, we just, we never heard that uh, in areas like Gaza and harsh places in the West Bank. They just, they didn't talk openly about how tough it was. In fact, one Palestinian in Gaza said this, the only time we open our mouth is when we go to the dentist. He said, we just, we just don't do it. Yeah. They are now. Mm -hmm. Some of these texts are coming out and the people know mm -hmm. what's going on. I can't remember where I read it, Joel, but I think they had a 3% approval rating, Hamas, in Gaza, in some poll. I don't know where that was. I should have taken notes, but they are miserable mm -hmm. there. And boy, that and is they one. Are trapped. And they're trapped. And that's one thing Israel and the Palestinians would agree on. They need Hamas to go, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, when Hamas is running the hospitals and all the safe oh. places, how bad yeah. is that? You know, and um, who, of course, suffers the most are the innocent civilians, especially the women and the children. And, that's exactly um, right, and and that's what we have to be honest about. This isn't yeah. politics. This is this is this is this is understanding what evil is. You know, I've said in my novels, in my books, in my speeches, to misunderstand the nature and threat of evil mm -hmm. is to risk being blindsided by it. When you have members of Congress, members of the European Union Parliament, when you have uh, the Secretary General of the United Nations and other leaders around the world who don't, who are trying to make a moral equivalency, well, Israel's shooting and Hamas's shooting, they both need to stop. No, wait a minute, wait a minute. When, when somebody, when, when, a, when a thug seizes a church congregation with, a, with an AR-15 and starts killing everybody in the room and the police come, you don't say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. The police need to lay down their arms. The, 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 the thug who's killing everybody in the church congregation or the synagogue or the mosque, 
They need, everybody needs to dial it down. We need to de-escalate. No, 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 you are not de-escalating. You are using the strong arm of the law That's right. to stop a killer or a series of killers. This, this, there's, there's a bizarre, I would say insane moral equivalency going on in the international community and they don't understand. I believe, I'm going to tell you right here, I, I, I believe that God is preparing the way for what will be some version of an Arab spring in mm-hmm. Gaza. I believe the end of Hamas and the Islamic Jihad is closer at hand than ever. I think when this war, when the dust settles, I don't know if it'll be this war. I pray that it is, but but. I think I'm already seeing the voices, you're seeing it, but anybody inside Gaza can't really speak except in a text to a friend, but they're terrified because they could have their heads chopped off or be railed with machine gun bullets. But the, the we, we are trying to cover people also on the outside of Gaza. Palestinians were starting to stand up and say, no, the international community that is, tr- if you love us, you will be against Hamas. You will be against Islamic Jihad. You know, these are Muslims saying it, right? These are not just Palestinian evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I think I would say the Palestinian evangelicals, probably rightly so, are being quiet. Mm-hmm. They're asking for prayer. They're not getting into it because they are in danger mm-hmm. in the West Bank and West in Gaza. Bank. But others outside are starting to say this moral equivalency, whom is it harming? Is Israel... Israel's shooting down the rockets, but the Palestinians of Gaza are suffering and they need to be liberated. And we need to be a voice, just like Ronald Reagan was the voice of the Soviet people, Natan Sharansky, even Jokel's brother Andrew was the voice of, of people that were trapped by the evils of the communist system in the Soviet Union, in Eastern Europe. And they said, no, the, the end is coming. This system's going to come down, and we need to stand with them. I don't know if it takes one year or five or 10 or 20, but we need to do everything we can to liberate these people. Every soul matters. This is what we need. This needs to be our our mantra uh, for some of us. Now, I realize that some pastors and believers should take the position I, this is not for me to get into prayer. Yes. Preaching the gospel, making the disciples, but it's not my calling to get into this right now. Okay. Fair enough. I think that's true. As long as you understand what's really happening and you don't unwittingly aid and abet the moral equivalency movement by saying, well, I think both sides are to blame. Look, we, I'm an Israeli. I can tell you my government has a lot of things that we've done wrong. None of it. Uh, merits 3,100 rockets being fired at us. Right. That's exact. And we were just communicating with some of our dear friends that are friends of uh, uh, you and Lynn uh, with the Holocaust survivors in bomb shelters in Sterot for four and five days and Ashkelon and some of these people, some of these places. And you can imagine, you know, 88 years old, 90 years old, they survived the Nazis and now Hamas is coming after them. Right. Wow, it's just it's just hard to the even difference. Imagine. The difference, Tom, and then I, I have to go. I apologize. Yeah. More interviews coming, but the difference is we have a state now. Yeah. We have an army. We have an air force. We have intelligence services and police services. Our country is not perfect. We're far from perfect. We got a lot of. Uh, things to fix. Uh, two weeks ago, we were talking about our failed political system, four elections in in two years, and we still don't have a, a clear government. 
we got a lot of problems. And only our only the king of Israel, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, is going to be able to fix these things. Until then, we got a lot of things to work on. But but God, by his mercies and in fulfillment of prophecies, has given us a state, he's given us an army, he's allowed us to have an air force and all these other things. To, and, and therefore, it's our highest moral obligation of, of any government, the Israeli government, to defend both Jews and Arabs, Muslims, Christians, religious Jews, atheists, agnostic, anybody in Israel, anybody visiting Israel, anybody working in Israel, it's the government's job to defend us. Right. And, I'm, and, and for all the criticisms I have for other issues and policies, <laughs> the Israeli government is working very hard to protect us. Yeah. And to minimize the casualties on the other side, though every casualty uh, is a tragedy of, a, of an innocent civilian. And I would tell you, and I know you agree, even the, the deaths of terrorists are tragedies because terrorists can become followers of Jesus. You and I, we know terrorists right. that have come, become followers of Jesus. And thank God they weren't hit by a missile and went to hell, but they had an opportunity for God to save them and transform them. And now they're preaching the gospel and leading others to Christ. This is what we want. But I'm praying for Hamas and Islamic Jihad. Lord, save them or take them out because they're wreaking havoc on Palestinians and Israelis. We're going to wrap this in 30 seconds. Joel, this is amazing. We can Everyone, talk all day. All Arab news, all Israel news, sign up, get it. You're going to get some sanity from the Middle East. It's going to help you so much. The Beirut Protocol just came out, and I'm reading it, a thriller, always like it's ripped yeah, out always. of the headlines. Thank you for writing that. Do you have two seconds to say anything about that, or do you got to go? Well, thank God that the, at the moment, the Beirut Protocol is not coming true, uh, because. Uh, but we had three missiles from Lebanon the other day, and there's always the possibility that a second front will open with Hezbollah. Hezbollah is the largest and the most dangerous of the Iranian terror proxy organizations. Um, Hezbollah has 150,000 missiles, not rockets, but actual high-powered missiles aimed at us based in Lebanon. And with the Beirut Protocol about it, a political thriller, it's fiction, hopefully, but it's a novel about <laughs> what if, what if a, a third Lebanon war were to erupt and in the 2006 war, the, 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 uh, what was known as the Second Lebanon War, Hezbollah, under Iranian direction, fired 4,000 missiles at Israel in a 34-day period. Okay? Now, senior Israeli officials told me when I was writing the book, The Beirut Protocol, if the next war opens up with Lebanon, with Hezbollah, it could be 4,000 missiles a day. Oh. landing on Israel. Now, that would make this conflict with Hezbollah, I mean, with Hamas, seem like a day at the park. The magnitude of what could come is so chilling, mm -hmm. but we face threats all over this region. It's why the, uh, you know, the 25, almost 100, almost 3,000, I guess 3,000-year-old 3, Psalm 122, verse 6, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. That's right. And uh, living here... <laughs> It, it, it is our is our daily bread. I mean, we got to pray. Um, we pray for physical protection. We pray for God to show mercy economically to the people here and around. 
But we, of course, ultimately pray that the peace of the Prince of Peace, right. Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, will be revealed to every heart, Jew or Arab, Druze, Bedouin, any ethnic background, any religious background, that Yeshua, Jesus, would be revealed, his identity, his power, his right. majesty right. would be revealed to every person in this country, mm-hmm. and, um, and that they would say yes to the gospel, uh, for which we should not be ashamed, and we never can be. And, and now this region needs good news more than ever before. And that always ends up, we need to come back to prayer. And as you're going, Joanne, can you pray? Just, yes, just pray. Very quickly, I know you have an interview. One thing we haven't said, though, I will say, is we do not wage war as the world does. We recognize that behind all of this is the, the enemy of our soul, Satan. And so prayer is, um, I love if you ever go through um, prayer cast, at the end of every little thing, it says, you want to change the world? Pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is how we change it. Um, so let's pray now. Joel, Joel thank you thank so much you for so all much. you shared. Jesus, you are the Prince of Peace. And we recognize in this volatile time, in this volatile region of the world, the only way peace will reign is through you, our Prince of Peace. And so, Jesus, you care about every single soul on both sides of the fence and worldwide. So, Jesus, have your way. Reveal yourself to those that are seeking to cause harm. Reveal yourself yes. in spirit and truth. Thank you for Joel and his family, their influence there, not only their influence politically and spiritually and and all of those areas, but thank you for the powerful prayers that they are sending up from right from the heart of where they live. And so, Jesus, we pray you would bring an end to this war right now. Would you just dissolve it? You can do that by your name and your authority. Continue to give wisdom to those who are in charge, to the, the leadership in Israel, and continue to defeat the enemy. And as Joel said, Father, this is all about the souls. This is all about the people and getting rid of these terrorists. So either take them out if you see they're not going to come to Christ or bring them to faith in you. Jesus, have your way. We love you. We worship you. And we do thank you that even in the midst of this, you are in control. We pray in your holy and resurrected name. Amen. Amen. Joel Rosenberg, Amen. honor to have you with us. Um, longtime friend. We're so thankful for you. And I wish we could do this once a week. Seriously. <laughs> Can we do this once a week? <laughs> I don't know, once a week, but I'm happy to be your, your Middle East correspondent when you guys are out of the country. Uh, you guys are great correspondents yourselves. Um, please let me know how I can be helpful, uh, both the website and again, encouraging people to sign up for our, our email alerts so that we'll just send it right to your desktop, right to your phone. You don't even have to come to the, the site and you'll see what our latest stories are. And of course, the Joshua Fund, where we're financially investing, like a mutual fund, into the ministries here in the land. If there's any way we can be helpful uh, to you, Tom and Joanne, and to your team, and to those who are listening to you, please, please let us know. Amen. Thank you. you. We love you. Love to Lynn. Love to you guys as well, and your whole family and team. Thank you. God's favor's on you. We pray it just continues and continues until Jesus comes back. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Uh, Amen. Thank you. Thanks.